Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. As spring draws to a close and rolls into summer, so shall we roll into the last leg of the offseason and begin the journey to training camp with the first of our opponent preview shows, starting with the New York Giants. Will the Giants reclaim their spot atop the East, or are they in rebuilding mode? Ryan Dunleavy from NJ.com joins us on the same place opponent preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. As the month of May comes to a close, so begins the month of June. We've got OTAs going on, training camp just around the corner, and before you know it, the 2018 season will be underway, and that is why we begin our opponent previews. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for the same place opponent preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. This is part number one, dealing with the New York Giants since they were the... uh, since they had the the lower record of the two teams that we'll be dealing with in the same place opponent section uh, of our opponent preview episodes. Uh, We will have uh, Ren Daxt and uh, Brent Mulberry from the PewterCast podcast. Remember, we had them on last year when we played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That is our other same place opponent. Uh, I'll be actually talking to them tomorrow night, and the show will be out sometime Friday, Saturday. See how I want to let this Giants episode breathe a little bit before I throw another one out there. Then we'll be moving on to the AFC East, the NFC West, and then into the NFC North, finishing up with our beloved Chicago Bears. So here we go. You know, this is the part of the season, the offseason, that is it's the worst as far as like being a football fan but for me this is my absolute joy in this part of the of the year is um you know reaching out and making connections um gonna make some new friends uh this time around this will be the first time we've talked to anybody from the afc east i'm really looking forward uh to that as a matter of fact i got some work to do i need to start making some contacts because i haven't really gotten in touch with anybody yet from any teams uh in the nfc or excuse me afc east so uh, I got to put some put some work in because I got these same place opponents bang, bang tonight and tomorrow. And then, uh, you know, we got to get to work on the AFC East. I want to start on them next week. So uh, better start uh, getting there and start sending out some tweets and some emails and stuff so I can get you guys some guests to talk to um, or listen to. And I'll talk to them. You you just listen. You know, that that's how that works. Just in case you didn't know. But anyway, our guest today, Ryan Dunleavy from NJ.com. Found him on the uh, Talk is Cheap uh, podcast. He's a beat writer uh, for the Giants. He spent some time at OTA practices and everything. The podcast is really good. Listen to a couple of uh, of episodes. He and uh, his um, um, opponent, uh, opponent, Jesus Christ, co-host uh, Mike Lombardo of uh, you know real good rapport with each other. I enjoyed the show, even though they weren't talking about my Bears. It was still uh, still a good show. I enjoyed it very much. Actually, listened to it at work just to get a taste of uh, who it was. I'm going to be talking to uh, here today and. Um, you know, lo- looking forward to talking to him and, uh, you know, just, you know, kicking this thing off, man. This is, uh, like I said, this is the, the part as a football fan that sucks. But for me, I love this time of year. And, um, you know, it's, um, it, it is OTAs. The Bears are, I think this is their last OTA practice. Th- are these three next three days, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, uh, I believe. And uh, Alan Robinson making an appearance in practice and uh, hadn't uh, made any uh, official Hadn't made his official Bear debut just yet, but he was out there running routes and catching balls uh, today. I was just reading how Jeff Dickerson was um, encouraged by what he saw from our uh, future number one wide receiver there. And um, hearing, you know, everything coming out of OTAs, of course, is positive. You're never going to hear a coach come back and, ta- and trash. I mean, unless they were horrid in in, uh, 
in practice that day. You're not going to hear a coach or anybody talking about the the negatives and you know the, the worst you'll probably hear a coach say is we got some work to do, you know, or ah, you know we got to this we'll, we'll we'll fix it, you know, something like that. You're never going to hear anything like Jesus Christ. I don't even know why they bother stepping on the field today. This is embarrassing. They they call themselves professionals, you know, or anything like that. So. Um, but, uh, you know, Vic Fangio talking about people that are impressing him. He's he's liking what he's seeing out of Roquan Smith so far. Uh, Deion Bush, I didn't know he was still on the team, to be honest with you. I kind of feel a little embarrassed about that. Apparently, he's making some some strides uh, in OTA so far. Nothing to get too excited about because it's just helmets and, and uh, shorts at this moment. So it's not really, you know, there's no hitting. There's no pads going on. So, you know, aside from James Daniels, our second-round pick, uh, taking snaps at center and guard right now. There's really nothing to talk about with the offensive linemen. Uh, they're bringing Kyle Long along slowly. Uh, three off-season surgeries, but uh, you know he's chomping at the bit to get out there. I think they're just bringing him along slowly. Same thing with Allen Robinson, who, um, you know, like I said, Magus made his first appearance in practice today, and this is the third session of OTA. So I mean, they've already had the last two weeks, three days of practice. And now they're in their third and final uh, before they break. I think they have, I think these are the voluntary OTAs. I'm, I'm so bad with this stuff. And I'm, I'm thinking they have like another like three or four days next week because I think their last day um, is like next Thursday or Friday. Then that's the big break between now and training camp. And um, then, then we really get to it. And the Bears, because they're playing in the Hall of Fame game and because they have a new coach, um, get, to, get to start practicing a week early. Uh, so, I mean, instead of reporting at the very end of July, they're like 19th or 20th uh, of July is when they'll be uh, reporting to Olivet um, Nazarene and, uh, you know, getting after it to uh, to get uh, to get to 2018 season underway out there in Bourbonnais. So um, really looking forward to it, man. I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I, I want to solve the mystery, you know, is are they the team that we're, we're all getting so excited about, I mean, are, are we just excited because it won't be the John Fox and Dole Logan show uh, anymore? You know, do our, or, or is our optimism and our excitement, will it be justified? That's what we really want to find out. And, uh, you know, get these guys on the field and, and see what they look like in pads is, is, uh, is what I'm really curious uh, to see. So really the only quote unquote negative thing that's really out there right now, it's not really so much a negative thing, but just maybe so much the way that he's handling it. At this point, and that would be Kevin White, our uh, former number seven overall pick, our first round draft choice from 2015, kicking off the John Fox era, who has, uh, you know, I have more fingers than this guy's got playing time. And, um, you know, it's um, in, you, you, on, in, on one hand, you can't blame the guy at all, you know, and, and on the other hand, he shouldn't be blaming us either, because, of course, we're going to ask him. If he's, you know, are you nervous about this year? You know, you know, you know how big this year is, Kevin, because this is it. The Bears declined his fifth year option. So he is officially in a contract year. He's playing for his future, not just with the Bears, but in pro football, period. You know, if he comes out and he gets hurt. Hiring with Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And gets hurt again. 
he's better off going to the Canada or the Arena League or, you know, see if that new All-American Football League they're going to start next spring or whatever. We'll, uh, we'll take a look at them because it, it's not going to be uh, – there's not going to be any NFL teams that are going to be chomping at the bit to sign him if he goes down and gets hurt again or, or what have you. You know, if, if Kevin White wants a shot with an NFL team, period, let alone the team that drafted him, but if he wants a shot with anybody, he's got to make it through the year, all the way through, healthy. You know, uh, honestly, to tell you the truth, he doesn't really even need to play that well. He just needs to prove that he can make it through a season in one piece uh, for a change. And um, he's been very, very, you know, uh, choppy with uh, with the media, short, like three word answers and and things like that. Now, granted, the you know, the media has been kind of brutal with him and uh, and everything like that. And, uh, you know, at the first time that I read it, it sounded it read negative in my mind but I guess the the wide receiving coach was kind of saying it to take the pressure off of Kevin White and that was that the Bears don't really have any expectations for him so you don't need to go out killing yourself trying to prove something we just want you on the field we want you playing you know don't worry about this that or the other or you know making a thousand catches or or anything like that you know just just be be there just be be available you know, um, what's it? Fox, John Fox always used to say the best kind of ability is availability. And Kevin White has not been available in his entire career. You know, he's got five games of playing time under his belt. Zero his rookie year. Five, four. I mean, he was in four games. He only made it through three and a half of them. And then he got through three quarters of the first game of 2017. So he doesn't even have five full games under his belt. And he's entering his fourth year of pro football. So, I mean, he's got 48 games that he was available, uh, you know, 48 games have taken place. He's been in five of them. Five. Mm. So, um, you know, he's probably tired of hearing them. And on one hand, you can't blame the guy. Uh, but on the other hand, the Bears have pretty much made plans to live on, to go on without Kevin White, even though he's still on the team. Now, talking to Matt Nagy, Kevin White is going to get every opportunity to prove himself, and I hope that's true. And I hope Kevin White can do it, man. I, honestly, I really hope this guy can do something. Um, you know, he's not a bad guy. He's not somebody who's out there getting himself in trouble. By all accounts, he's a good, he's a stand-up dude who's just had a string of bad luck with the with the injuries. And I mean, you guys have heard me say this before. For me, the most frustrating thing about Kevin White is not so, I mean, of course, it sucks that he keeps getting hurt, but it's that even to this day, we don't know what we have in Kevin White. We don't know if we have a guy that we drafted to be a number one who actually is a number one, or is he better suited to be, you know, a number two, a number three guy, or, you know, or what have you. We have no idea. And we're entering the last year of his contract. We can't answer any of those questions because he can't stay healthy long enough to to do it i mean obviously he'll be written off as a bust if it doesn't you know if if nothing if it doesn't work out he'll be a bust the funny thing is he won't be a bust because he can't play as far as like his ability is concerned because we have no idea he'll be a bust because he didn't play because he couldn't stay healthy and that's i think that's the worst kind i mean because that's i mean you just live your whole life with what ifs at that point you know, if if you go out and you're a top joy, in trap chop draft choice, and you know you just stink it up on the field, well, at least you know you weren't you didn't you you couldn't cut it as as a National Football League player. You know that. But if you're Kevin White, you have no idea if you can cut it as an NFL wide receiver because you didn't get the chance to. You just didn't do it. So I'm pulling for the guy. He's still one of ours. He's still under contract, and God knows we can use all the help we can get on on the offensive side and if he succeeds that's all the more better for everyone the bears kevin white across the board it's just it's the better the better he plays the better it is uh for all of us uh, and everything so i mean he's uh he's not dealing with it very well you can sense that he's frustrated having to answer these questions and unfortunately he's going to have to wait a few months before he can quiet anybody up about it because he's made it through this portion of the season before he's made it through um uh, training camp a couple of times already but uh, you know he hasn't made it through a regular season hell to tell you the truth he hasn't made it through a quarter of a regular season yet so he's got some work to do to uh, win over the hearts and minds of the media and the fans and everything else but he's one of ours so I'm pulling for him so anyway 
that's all I got for this time around. Uh, we're going to go ahead and step aside and bring on our guest, Ryan Dunleavy from NJ.com and the Talk is Cheap podcast to help us preview the 2018 New York Giants. And to help us kick off this same place opponent section of our opponent preview episodes, we have Ryan Dunleavy from NJ.com, the Star Ledger, and the Talk is Cheap podcast. Ryan, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me on. So, um, you, this is your, is this, do, did, we just talked about it 40 seconds ago. You are, this is your first year covering the Giants, correct? Correct. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And, and what were you doing before that? I covered Rutgers football. For the last seven years, which was, you know, the time they joined the Big Ten into their first four years uh, in the Big Ten. So it was an interesting time to be a, to be covering college football, which is something not everybody in the Northeast grew up watching, but I certainly did. Well, I'm, I'm from I am from Chicago and that it's very similar in Chicago. I mean, you know, there's a huge presence with Northwestern and Notre Dame, but it is not by any means a college no. town so i mean there's you know i i come out here i live in iowa now uh, about you know three hours west of the city and people ask me all the time well are you a hawkeyes fan well how about <laughs> are you you know are you a you know fighting yeah. lion eye because you're from illinois or or northwestern i'm like no not really it's like college just you know we watched it on saturdays because it was there but it was never like ooh notre dame you know or anything like that it just uh college really wasn't the the focus in in, in chicago at all that's certainly how it is where i'm from it's I I think uh, the stat I wrote that was one of my all-time favorite stats is when I went to Lincoln, Nebraska for a Rutgers Big Ten uh, for a Rutgers Big Ten Nebraska football game. The closest pro sports team to Lincoln, Nebraska, is fur is further away than New Jersey teams are to Washington D.C. The, the Washington Capitals and the Washington Wizards. They're closer to New Brunswick, New Jersey, where Rutgers is, than any team is to Lincoln, Nebraska. There are 17, 17 or 19, I can't remember off the top of my head, 17 or 19 pro sports teams closer to Rutgers than the closest one is to Lincoln, Nebraska. So it's just kind of out in the middle of nowhere, huh? <laughs> yeah. So Rutgers in the big, that still doesn't jive. For me, I just uh, you know, the, the, I've always media markets, TV market. Oh, I know, I get it totally, and I and I always have to remind myself that Rutgers and Maryland are in the Big Ten now. Yeah. You know, it, it is still kind of a uh, you know, it still doesn't quite fit. I I thought Nebraska was a good fit uh, for the Big Ten. Even Penn State when they joined, they were independent forever when I was a kid. But um, you know, Rutgers and it just didn't seem to fit. Uh, yep. I, like I said, I still have to remind myself that they're they're actually in the Big Ten. So, Big Ten fans should remind themselves every time they get what, every time the school gets one of those huge Big Ten network checks. Right. They should, that's when they should remind themselves Rutgers is in because of the New York New Jersey media market. So uh, I listened to your your last episode uh, of Talk is uh, Talk is Cheap, and, and you and your uh, partner Mike, correct? Matt Matt, Matt Lombardo. Matt Lombardo. Sorry. Um, we're talking about uh, you got a chance to go out to uh, OTAs and you saw a fight, like the first play of practice or something like that? Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, uh, Will Hernandez, who the Giants picked out of UTEP, the second guard, uh, second round pick, a guard, uh, he got into a little bit of a, his first rep with the first team and his first OTA, he got into a scrum with middle linebacker B.J. Goodson. Not like, you know, a fist fight or anything, just pushing and shoving and extracurriculars as we like to call it uh just a little bit of feistiness slap the you know slap the face mask kind of thing and i uh, uh, kind of you knew right then and there that he was the kind of player the giants want on this offensive line as they build as they build it forward oh i i know it we uh we as i as in the bear fans were um were very excited that he made it through the first night of the draft and the bears were picking six or seven 
in the uh, in the second round. So the possibility of him possibly landing to us yeah. uh, was a very attractive proposition. Unfortunately, he didn't make it that far, and the the Giants scooped him up with what, like the second pick in the yeah. in the second round. The second pick in the second round. Yeah, they were ecstatic to get him. I bet. You know, I was I was hoping that the Bears might be able to land him or something like that, and we came close, but not close. Uh, close enough so so let's talk about the draft real quick before we do our quick run through of 20 2017 real quick but um before the draft where did you sit as far as what did what you thought the giants should do going into the draft i was a believer that if there's a quarterback you believe in you take him uh anytime you know you have that kind of opportunity the giants as the story goes, haven't picked number two overall since 1981 when they picked Lawrence, Lawrence Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. Um, so they're not a franchise like you know the Browns or the Texans or somebody you expect to be in the top five pretty much year in year out basis. Uh, so I thought you pick a quarterback if you believe in one. If you don't, which I think you know it's been proven to us that they didn't believe in any of those quarterbacks. Uh, if you believe in one, you pick him. If you don't, then I thought you trade down. Maybe with somebody like in that Bears range, five, six, seven, eight, uh, and uh, you try to get mo- more picks because the Giants are in win now mode with mm-hmm. Eli Manning as a 37 year old starting quarterback. So I thought you get as many picks as possible. You try to do the quick from three wins to 10 wins turnaround. Uh, I didn't like the idea of picking a running back with a number two pick. Okay, so that was going to be my next question. Or actually, my next question was going to be, so you thought they should go quarterback when they, you know, going into it, and rumor was Darnold was the only guy that they would probably consider at number two. So how did you feel after the Browns picked Mayfield? Were you like, holy crap, they might actually have, they have a chance they can take Darnold now, and then they didn't do it? I mean, I think by the time the draft rolled around, I think we all knew they were leaning towards Barkley. Uh, they, what's interesting is you get used to covering sports and you get used to these coaches and general managers and athletic directors or whatever, downplaying expectations. And you never want to put too much on a guy too soon. And the giants did the exact opposite with Saquon Barkley. They talked about him about him as a potential hall of famer as somebody who's quote touched by the hand of god uh, <laughs> quote so they've gone out of their way to hype up saquon barkley to put a lot on his plate instead of the other way around so i think by then as soon as i thought that's who they would pick uh i just think that it's very interesting dynamic and something maybe even the city of chicago doesn't uh realize other than maybe the cubs and the white Sox, which is now he's going to be on the Jets, and when he, if Sam Darnold went to the Lions and won a Super Bowl and had a great career, the Giants would have been second-guessed for passing him up. But for him to be only 30 miles away, sharing the same newspapers and the same television networks and whatnot, if Sam Darnold goes on to be a great player, even if Saquon Barkley is a Hall of Famer, you'd always rather the quarterback. So... It'll be an interesting 10 years with those two to measure side by side. Yeah, to tell you the truth, I hadn't thought about that. I mean, I know that it was, you know, kind of, it was a big deal that he landed, literally landed in the Jets' lap, um, the way that everything uh, went down and everything. I knew that it was going to be something for them to be sharing the same market, but to think of it in that way, um, you know, if, if it could always be the, the, you know, the move that everybody regrets, kind of maybe like the, I mean, it's not the same be, thing, but like the Forty like ers passing on Aaron Rodgers back in '05 or something like that, and it, you know, for your audience, it would be like if the Cubs and White, and obviously baseball is a different animal because you go to the minor leagues, but it'd be like if Clayton Kershaw and Bryce Harper were in the same draft, and the Cubs picked uh, Bryce Harper. Well, that's great; he's a great player, but the pitcher is always more valuable, and the White Sox end up with Clayton Kershaw. It'd right. be like, well, well, we got, a, we got a great player, but we didn't get the game changer, you know. <laughs> So what did you think overall of of the draft? Because personally, I, you know, I, I thought the the Giants made a killing. Especially, the, you know, they got they got Barkley, who many consider to be the best player in the draft. Will Hernandez lands to you guys in the second round. Lorenzo Carter uh, in the in the in the third round, and then um, I heard you had some issues with them taking Kyle Loletta in the fourth round. <laughs> you read, you're you read. 
Listen, my problem with uh, the Giants taking Kyle Oletta, it has nothing to do with Kyle Oletta. The quarterback out of uh, Richmond, they took in the fourth round. I uh, have no problem with it. Uh, a lot of experts have said they think that's a great pick, that they think that could be a steal, that you know he's maybe Jimmy Garoppolo light. Listen, I have no problem. If that's the case, then it's a great pick, obviously. But my problem isn't with taking Kyle Aletta. My problem is with you drafting either you, you in the lat. So obviously the Giants have had a regime change. The guys who did this draft were not the same guys who did last draft. But you don't get to pretend you didn't inherit your players. You're not an expansion team starting from scratch. Right. So the Giants had Davis Webb, who they picked in the third round last year and gave zero regular season snaps to, uh, on the roster. And then they picked Kyle Aletta in the fourth round this year. So to me, that means you are now going into this season without anybody on your team that has taken a snap besides Eli Manning. So if something were to happen to Eli Manning, if you, you have no experience behind him, you have no room to sign a veteran because you can't carry four quarterbacks. No one carries four quarterbacks. You can't move either Webb or Laletta to your practice squad because somebody will claim them. So you've now boxed yourself into a court corner with two backup quarterbacks with zero combined snaps and one of them is going to be your third string quarterback so either you picked your third string quarterback with a fourth round pick this year or you picked your fourth string or your third string quarterback with your third round pick next year either way to me that's a wasted pick and I know the Steelers pretty much did the same thing which is crazy they did the same thing with Ben Roethlisberger drafted a quarterback in back-to-back years to me that doesn't make any sense even I wrote my column before Roethlisberger spoke out, but I agree with Ben a thousand percent, which is why wouldn't you try to give me another weapon, whether it's an offensive tackle or a wide receiver or whatnot. Give me another weapon now. Don't pick a second backup quarterback for me. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> just, you know, you, I, you know, I could hear that you are, uh, you kind of mentioned it a couple of times how maybe they should have gone with an offensive tackle that they didn't draft in the fourth round instead of drafting another quarterback. Correct. That's the, to me, that's the biggest hole on the offense. Uh, they signed Nate Solder, a quality left tackle. They had to overpay for him because their need was so big. They paid, they made him the highest paid offensive lineman in the NFL, even though he's never made a pro bowl. He's a very good player. Uh, he'll be their left tackle. If he was good enough to block Tom Brady's backside, he's good enough to block Eli Manning. So, and now they're moving Eric Flowers, who was their left tackle, former first-round pick who underachieved, to the right side, and they have no real competition for him. They have two undrafted free agents who will battle him. He's better than both those guys. So they don't really have anybody to push Flowers, whereas like a fourth-round pick, I think, would have maybe you might have had a really good training camp battle. Now, looking at your, you know, the free agent acquisitions and things like that, I think aside from uh, signing Solder, which was a big signing in, in free agency, uh, maybe picking up Jonathan Stewart, which is interesting now that you have uh, Barkley uh, in the fold. But the most interesting move that the, the, the Giants made were the two trades, one where they traded a superstar away and another one where they traded to bring one into the fold with uh, Alec Ogletree from the Rams. Yeah, I thought those were probably their two marquee moves. They traded two picks for Alex Ogletree. The Giants had ignored linebacker for far, far too long. Their last Pro Bowl linebacker was Antonio Pierce in 2006. They only picked one linebacker in the first two rounds of a draft since 2008. So they were well behind in linebackers. So trading for a guy like Ogletree, who's a 100-tackle machine, was big. And then trading away Jason Pierre-Paul, that to me was more about changing the voices in the locker room. Obviously, the Giants' locker room was a uh, disaster last year. I think they wanted new leadership in the locker room. That's where Ogletree comes in. That's where JPP goes out. And also, I mean, he took a lot of snaps the last couple years. The Giants didn't rotate their defensive ends very well. So I think the Giants are betting on JPP's last best years being behind him. And they got a decent return. They got, what, a third-round pick out of the Buccaneers for that? Yeah, they got a third-round pick, which they turned into B.J. Hill, a defensive lineman from North Carolina State who's already had some first-team reps in OTAs. So going into the into the offseason, after 2017 ended, uh, you know, Ben McAdoo didn't even get to finish out the year. 
Um, you know, an zero and five start. You know, you guys tumble to a three and thirteen uh, finish. Uh, did you did you have an opinion on who you thought the Giants should go after? Was was Shermer on the list of the guy that you thought maybe should replace, or did you did you see a better fit there? I'm not surprised that the Giants went after a quarterback guru. I mean, they're going to try to squeeze every last drop out of Eli Manning's career, uh, <laughs> whether that's two a year, two years, four years, and then they're going to have a very, very tricky sl- uh, navigate slope that only really the Packers and Favre and Rodgers and the Colts with Manning and Luck have really been able to navigate um, of transitioning from a franchise quarterback to a new quarterback whether that's Webb or Laletta so I think uh, I'm not surprised at all that they wanted a quarterback uh, quarterback guru more so than uh, more so than a defensive guy like Matt Patricia or um, Steve Wilkes who went to Arizona I'm not surprised by that obviously Josh McDaniels was the big name but uh, I think anybody who didn't get Josh McDaniels is now you know counting their blessings yeah well, I mean, um, one of my best friends is a huge uh, Colts fan, and um, hanging out with him all those years to, that we were into, you know, college together and everything. The Bears, you know, rarely make the playoffs, so it was always me watching Colts games with him. So I guess you can call them like they're my AFC team. Uh, <laughs> so I did feel a little bit of a sting when when Daniels backed out uh, at the uh, or McDaniel's, I should say, backed out of the the deal literally at the eleventh hour. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. Most teams probably feel like they dodged a bullet by not hiring him. So um, was there a consensus in the fan base of where they should go or, or you know, as far as who who the fans thought uh, the, the Giants should consider? Well, remember, this started with those rumors about Bill Belichick wanting out of uh, – Right, right. Running out of New England. I think every Giants fan wanted Bill Belichick. Not that I ever think that was really – reasonable wish list i mean i want a million dollars so uh other than that no i don't think there was a consent a real consensus i mean wilkes was a hot name early just because general manager dave gettleman and him were together in carolina right but i don't think there was a, a consensus i think they what the giants really wanted and the fans really wanted was a was a resume or a prototype more than a specific person and that would be somebody who would restore who had a calm personality who would restore order to a to a disastrous locker room and somebody who knew quarterbacks and whether that guy's name was pat Shermer or joe smith that's who they wanted and they got pat Shermer. right well to tell you the truth Shermer was at the top of my list um to replace uh john fox in chicago for very similar reasons as far as like he's a quarterback guy and obviously the bears have gone all in on, on Mitch Trubisky and, you know, spent the offseason finally building an offense around him and uh, and what have you. The guy that we ended up hiring, I was not even remotely familiar with. Uh, and there he is standing at a podium accepting the job yeah. uh, and everything. So, I mean, it's it's been all good things since we hired him. And it's, it's you know. From I, the tree, too. The Nagy and uh, Shermer are both Andy Reid disciples. Right, right. And, you know, I, I like his demeanor. I like the way he's not as stoic or as vague with the with the media as Fox and even Lovey Smith before him uh, have been. So, I mean, it's the proof is in the pudding, though. we got to see what the guy can do and put together on the field. But uh, I was definitely a big, you know, Shermer guy uh, going into the offseason because he took the polished turd that is Sam Bradford and turned him into a decent quarterback. He made Case Keenum all-world uh, in Minnesota, so I would have loved to see what he could do with someone like Trubisky, who's actually got some kind of talent uh, behind him. So um, I was uh, very interested to see how that was going to go down, but unfortunately, he's uh, he's in the blue and red instead of the blue and orange. Yeah, yeah, very. Um, that Case Keenum thing is really what got Shermer back on the map because I don't remember hearing his name uh, for any jobs. You know, the previous off season, right? So. You know, 2017. I mean, you weren't uh, you weren't you know uh, covering the team at the time, but you you lived in the area the whole time, correct? Yep. So, what was the vibe like in 2017? Because this wasn't really a team that was a bad football team. It's like they were kind of like the. I mean, the Bears weren't a very good football team, so I'll stop that parallel right there. But 
as far as like it was just the team that couldn't catch a break as far as there was one injury after another and left more what ifs than you know questions about what could have been had so-and-so stayed healthy you lost Odell Beckham early uh, Brandon Marshall went down with an injury and then it's just like one domino after another uh, toppling the fact that then Ben McAdoo buried himself by benching uh, Eli Manning and snapping the longest current uh, streak in as far as consecutive games were concerned. I mean, you know, going through the year, starting 0-5 and blossoming into the 3-13 and year, what was it like out there? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a disaster. Like, you recapped it pretty well. I mean, they got off to that 0-5 start, and, you know, there were Super Bowl expectations when the yeah. season started. The Giants were coming off a playoff berth. Uh, and then to go 0 and 5 and lose a bunch of games on last set, I think they lost two or three games in a row on last second field goals, which will break a team if you're not mentally strong. And obviously the Giants weren't. And then they had three guys get suspended all in the secondary, uh, anonymous players bla- blasting the coach. And from there it was everything you would expect it to be a team that kind of fell apart. And then McAdoo, like you said, benched Eli Manning for geno smith of all people which really was a head scratcher yeah and then from there he got fired and it was kind of a season everybody wants to forget about yes yes i'm very familiar with that because we've just had five of them in a row to be honest with you with the bears we had the well the first year with tressman wasn't that much of a disaster but the four the, the his second year the inmates were running the asylum as far as that was concerned it was just an absolute mess fox comes in and you know it was more of a, you know, we're just watching the, the unhealthiest roster in football play football for three years and always wondering what could have happened if this guy could have stayed healthy and then compound that with the fact that we were just terrible uh, on the field. It was uh, it was tough to uh, tough to watch. So I definitely feel a Giants fan's pain when they're talking about having to suffer through a 3-13 and year last season. Yep, exactly. That's uh, the fan- for the Giants fans... You know, it was the fifth time in the last six years they didn't make the playoffs. But the Giants fan uh, is typically somebody who can hold his fan he- hold his head pretty high, knowing they have one of the most stable, loyal, classy insert cliche here organizations in the game. And then for them to embarrass themselves seemingly every day was a tough pill for fans to swallow. Yeah, I bet. So amongst the um, the free agent signings, outside of the the larger ones. It, who is the most interesting to you, the most interesting addition uh, to the uh, to the team? Uh, outside of Nate Solder, who I mentioned earlier, the left mm-hmm. tackle, I'd say the most interesting addition. Uh, maybe that's a good question. Maybe William Gay, who uh, you know played uh, he played 176 games, 102 starts, uh, playoff tested with the Steelers, is going to be the Giants' nickel corner guy with a lot of leadership a lot of games behind him in a secondary that needs some help uh that was obviously the biggest um the i don't want to say the weakest link but the most that was like i said that they had three cornerbacks get suspended last year so there is obviously problems in the defensive backs room so uh william gay's an interesting one um Hernandez and Barkley through the draft. Kareem Martin, Alec Ogletree. Kareem Martin's a linebacker who played for new defensive coordinator James Betcher when they were in Arizona together. So he knows the new system as well as anybody. So I think that gives him an advantage. They've really turned over the roster quite a bit. So two new offensive linemen, two new defensive linemen, two new linebackers, a bunch of new receivers, a bunch of new cornerbacks, and then uh two new running backs so really there's newness everywhere with the giants yeah when i was going through their their acquisitions um the other day was it just seemed like every other one was a a defensive back of of some kind and and i also noticed the of you know a handful of the uh free agents came from carolina and arizona where your defensive coordinator was where your general manager came from so they're bringing in their guys to kind of try to turn this thing around in new york yeah, offensive coordinator too, and then it seems like almost every position coach got to bring a guy too. Whether it's Lou Anarumo from the Dolphins bringing safety Michael Thomas, or Deshay Townsend, the assistant def- defensive backs coach, bringing Curtis Riley from the Titans. Uh, it really seems like almost every assistant coach got to bring a uh, player with them. A special teams coordinator from Carolina and Russell Shepard. 
um, it seems like they everybody got to bring somebody with them. And again, I think that's all about, and this is kind of a college term, but it's true, about changing the culture and uh, in the locker room and wanting to have good guys that they know ca- they can count on when the going gets tough uh, as they try to rebuild this thing. So you've gotten to go to, how many OTA practices have you been to? Two. Just two? And, you know, what was the yeah. what was the vibe like on the field? Do you think these guys are, are responding to Shermer in the limited time that you've seen him in? Listen, the number one thing comes down to Odell Beckham, right? If Odell Beckham has no reason to be at any of this voluntary stuff. He has no reason to be there. It's all voluntary. He can't really practice because he's still rehabbing his ankle. And he has been at, I think, three of the five OTAs and all three of the pre-draft minicamp practices. All of, So that's six voluntary things he's shown up for when he's injured and unhappy with his contract. And if he's going to show up and show that level of respect for the for uh, Shermer and the new staff, then I think everybody's going to follow suit because they're going to say, if Odell's doing it, we need to do it. So he's the the pulse center on the team. Correct. I mean, I mean, anybody in that position, anybody who's that big a star and has that many excuses to not show up, right. showing I uh, think you look around the NFL, you have Zach Martin holding out with the Cowboys, or you have five or six guys in OTAs getting injured, and you could easily, if you're Odell, say, I ain't doing this, and he's there. So uh, I think that's been something that's kind of set the tone for respect of the new staff. So with the um, w- with the, the the Beckham contract situation, I mean, you know, what what do you think is going to happen with that? I mean, it's I mean, are they going to pay a receiver twenty million dollars to stick around? Is is I mean, I, he's an extremely talented guy. Is he worth a five year hundred million dollar contract? Do you think? No one's worth five years and a hundred million. Right. No one's worth it. But if you're talking on a relative basis, I mean, if Antonio Brown is worth seventeen million dollars a year, if Mike Evans is worth sixteen and a half million dollars a year, then Odell Beckham is probably worth eighteen million dollars a year. Could he push it to twenty? Maybe. Uh, I don't see a world where the Giants let Odell Beckham go. Uh, he's too important to that offense. He's too important to Eli Manning, whose numbers are starkly different with and without Odell in the lineup. So I don't see any world where Odell's not on the team. Uh, certainly this year and then going forward, I would imagine they'll give him a long-term deal. Uh, the problem is if, you have, if you're paying Eli Manning $22 million and you're paying Odell Beckham $20 million, it doesn't really leave you a lot of cap space uh, to spread around to the other 51 guys. So... Uh, so almost, it's almost like a deal where the Giants, if they could, they'd never admit this probably, but uh, if, o- if Eli Manning's not on the team next year for whatever reason, he retires or he has a bad year and they say a tough goodbye, then all of a sudden it's a lot easier to fit Odell Beckham's $20 million in because essentially you're paying your quarterback nothing either Davis Webb or Kyle Aletta and you're giving the $20 million quarterback money to Odell Beckham. That's uh, suddenly looks a lot easier to handle who do you think will be harder for the giant giants giant fan base to part with eli or, or beckham uh to the lawyer the giants fan base is an older fan base mm. is a very loyal fan base so it might be eli manning uh but if you're looking at it objectively speaking if you're taking away the names and putting stats and years and age and all on a piece of paper with no name and no picture it's Beckham Beckham's more valuable to the Giants right now than Eli Manning but the Giants fan is going to look at Eli Manning and say thanks for all the memories and have a hard time parting with him sure sure um looking ahead to the uh to the schedule it looks like it's the uh the AFC South uh this year and uh well we got the NFC East well well, obviously the East but uh, the South NFC South, yeah. It's Tampa the Bay, NFC, South. NFC South and AFC South. Oh, it's both the South divisions. Okay. Yes. Um, so for the first time in I don't know how many years, the Giants are not starting the year against the Cowboys. I mean, no, it's week two. The, they bumped it to week two. Yeah, I saw that. But did you guys think that was a typo or something? It was like, wait yeah. a minute, we're not starting with the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football? What's going on here? Yeah, got a good laugh at everybody, yeah. So instead they did bump it to week two. You're at Dallas on Sunday Night Football week two instead of week one, but instead you're kicking off the uh, the Pat Shermer air at home against the Jaguars, which should be interesting. 
um, you know, number one, to see how the Giants, you know, come back in, in, you know, after such a disastrous year where so many things went wrong, having almost nothing to do with how, how, you know, how they played. But then again, who was out there playing with the injuries and, uh, and everything. And then the Jaguars who, who, you know, made us sit through another Tom Brady Super Bowl when they didn't decide to, when they decided not to show up for the second half of the AFC title game to see how they respond to that. And, you know, it's going to be an interesting first week of the season uh, when, when Jacksonville and the Giants get together for week one. Yeah, that's a total storyline game. Obviously, the Jaguars were rebuilt very quickly by Tom Coughlin, who is one of their, I don't know, executive vice president, right. something or other. And he's the coach who won two Super Bowls with the Giants and is in the Giants ring of honor, uh, an all-time great Giants coach. Uh, coming back to East Rutherford uh, will certainly uh, dominate the headlines around here for the first week of the season. And it's, uh, you know, for me as a Midwestern guy, it's hard not to to see uh, East Coast bias when a 3-13 and team has four national TV games uh, somehow. You got Sunday night football, you got Thursday night, and then two Monday night games. It must be great to be on the East Coast. Yeah, well, I think it's part of not just being on the East Coast, but the media market. Whether sure, it's, yeah, I get it. Whether it's New York, the Jets, the Giants, whether it's, I'm sure Chicago has a couple of primetime games. I'm sure, you know, uh, San Francisco has a couple of primetime games, and none of those teams were, you know, all those teams were bottom 10 teams last year. Mm, yeah. Uh, so I, I know that, uh, I know the Giants will always be on primetime, and I know the fans don't exactly love it. So, <laughs> So, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, you start versus Jacksonville, you're at Dallas, then at Houston, home for the, uh, the Saints. Um, then I think just, am I looking at this right? It's home away for the, the, the home away rotation for the rest of the year. You are correct. It alternates like that. Yep. So usually, I mean, well, you know, I, what do you think about that? Cause you know, sometimes when you, when you look at a schedule, like last year, I was looking at the Packers schedule and there was a stretch where they played at home and then they didn't come back for like 34 days or something like that because they had a bye week and then three straight road games or something like that before they played again uh, in Lambeau. Do you think it's better to do an alternate thing? You think maybe they should bunch together some of those home games? What's your personal take on something like that? For the NFL, I don't really think it matters. I mean, there's such there's a week between games. I don't think it's. I never really looked at it as a true home stand. Like a baseball team has ten a 10 game homestand or a basketball team with three games at home in five days or whatever. If you have three games that you, you, like you mentioned, the Packers didn't play at home for 34 days or whatever, but they were still home 28 of those 34 days or whatever. So so to me, it it doesn't really matter. I guess the alternating is probably the most fair way to do it. And uh, week nine by week, where do you, where do you sit on the bye? Do you have a philosophy for, for bye weeks because that's actually been the bears for like three out of the last five years week nine and when it wasn't week nine it was like week eight or something like that it was almost dead set right in the middle and that's what the giants are are, are getting this year is week nine right you got eight on top and then eight on the bottom as far as the the bye week goes is do you think that's better for them this year for the giants it's perfect because then it gives them a chance to regroup if they're a one in seven team it'll be much easier to bench eli manning and start planning for the future if they're a five and three or six and two team it'll be very easy to say okay no need for the rookies to play we're going for it this year it'll be a very easy checkpoint to see exactly what they are and you know just looking at the the bottom half of the schedule you're you're at san francisco on monday night home for tampa bay at philly home for chicago week 13 is when the bears uh come to town uh, at the, do they still call it the Meadowlands? Yeah, they do. I mean, it's MetLife. It's MetLife right, Met Stadium. Stadium. Yeah. But yes, it's in the Meadowlands. It's yeah. they. They still call it the Meadowlands. Okay. Because I'm one of those people. Like, there's a there's an arena in Chicago. When I was a kid, forever it was the Rosemont Horizon. Then corporate mess got into it. Now it's the Allstate Arena. Or, you know, there was a there one. Uh, there's a concert venue in the suburban Chicago in Tinley Park. I've been there six times. It had five names. Uh, you know, I could tell you that I've seen my favorite band Kiss at uh, the World Music Theater, the Tweeter Center, the Fifth Third Bank Amphitheater. It's the same place, even though they've all got different names. 
Um, so I'm kind of like, you know, even if it's MetLife Stadium or whatever they want to call it, it'd always be the Meadowlands to me. So exactly. So, but um, you know, unlike the uh, the Bears who have like five division games in the last eight games of the season, it seems like the uh, the Giants only have what three? They have three division games in the last eight, so they they evened it up uh, for the Giants. Three in the top half, three in the uh, the bottom. But it's you know you got a, a division sandwich there. Washington uh, week fourteen, two AFC South teams, and then you finish off with. Uh, with Dallas, so instead of starting it with the Cowboys, you get to end it with the uh, yeah. the Cowboys. When when you looked at the schedule, you know what do you think as far as like the road that's ahead for the Giants? The beginning of the schedule is brutal. I mean, this back half is much easier than the first half. But like I said, it'll give the Giants have a very good idea by the time they go to their bye just how good they really are. Uh, first start of the schedule, the tougher part, I think. And listen, I I don't think anybody. No, no realistic Giants fan should fool themselves. They're not the best team in the NFC East. The Eagles are the best team in the NFC East. But they very easily could come in second in the NFC East. Uh, uh, Jason Witten, Des Bryant, list Cowboys do not, do not um, scare anybody. The Redskins never scare anybody. So um, the Giants could very easily be the second best team in the NFC East if that's 9-7 and seven or 7-9. Seven and nine is the question uh, nine and seven i don't know if that if you get in the playoffs at nine and seven in the nfc probably not uh but i could see the giants being a nine and seven team does that because I, you were talking best case worst case uh, on on the show last time is that best case for you nine and seven or is that uh yeah, I mean, you know best case, if everything goes well best case is probably ten and six be the five seed upset the four seed in the playoffs and be one of the final four teams in the nfc uh that's probably the best case to be the five seed and upset whoever the worst division winner is uh san francisco la somebody like that uh that's probably the best case i think eight and eight nine and seven is probably a realistic case so realistically you think they could be a 500 team this year yes i think that's probably a realistic expectation yeah and in, much in, in... than a three-win team you look at a team like the colts and other than Andrew Luck, they have three-win talent. The Giants have all pros and pro bowlers, Damon Harrison, Janoris Jenkins, Eli Manning, Odell Beckham, uh, uh, Landon Collins. They have legit talent. They just didn't have depth. And now they have Ogletree on top of it. Yeah. So. so And you throw in a kid like Barkley, who has the potential to be a game-changer for the Giants yeah. and possibly extend Eli Manning's career if they if they go – you know, run heavy and really make a run at this uh, thing. It could be the most genius thing the Giants have ever done. Yep. So, um, I think that's all I got. I mean, you. So nine and seven, eight and eight. You think is is uh, you know a realistic goal? Um, what was your worst case again for the well, for the worst, Giants? Worst case is that they're a disaster, like they were last year. I mean, yeah. That they're you know that they get off to another terrible start with that brutal schedule. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's, you know, Jacksonville, Dallas, Houston, New Orleans uh, at Carolina versus Philadelphia. Atlanta. Yeah. Jesus Christ. You're right. Those they first seven be, games are horrible. They could be one in six, right? And one in six. The team hates each other again. Uh, you have to bench Eli Manning. The fans get pissed and you're talking three and 13 again and wondering why you didn't pick a quarterback. Mm-hmm. That's the worst case, and that's a bad case. Yeah, yeah, that definitely does sound bad. It would definitely make for an interesting first year for you uh, yeah. covering the team uh, up close. So, um, so just uh, just as we're uh, as we're saying goodbye to you, you know, you, you've had a chance to to meet some of the players. Anybody that you that you like initially up front? Michael Thomas, the guy they acquired from the Dolphins over the offseason. He's a guy who's very involved in uh social justice and very well spoken very active in his community seems like a terrific human being uh really enjoyed getting to know him uh and then uh just kind of sterling shepherd seems like a guy who's good at the you know good with the media oh good uh you know insight good insights and whatnot but haven't really had much of an opportunity yet to build too many personal relationships with these guys because it's been such a limited access in the off season. Nobody from Rutgers on the team at the moment? 
Oh yeah, Robert Martin, the running back, uh, the guy who's uh, he's probably the fourth or fifth running back in the room right now, but he's on the ninety-man roster, uh, an undrafted kid out of Rutgers, who I obviously go way back with. Sure, sure. Well, Ryan, I, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to help us navigate the uh, the muddy waters that was the twenty seventeen uh, Giants, and and looking forward to the potential of what could be uh, going forward in 2018. And, uh, you know, we play each other uh, week 13, uh, December the 2nd. You know, any chance we get you to come back and help us preview the game uh, later on this year? Give me a shout. I've never done the NFL season before, but uh, I'm sure I can find the time. All right. Well, we appreciate it. Ryan Dunleavy, NJ.com, the Star Ledger, and, of course, the Talk is Cheap podcast with Matt Lombardo. Yep. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much uh, for joining us. We'll see you next time. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Once again, I want to thank Ryan Dunleavy for joining us, helping us kick off this uh, all-important section of the offseason because it really is the only thing that helps me maintain my sanity between now and the day the Bears kick it off in the preseason, I mean, training camp. What is training camp? Nothing. You know, the, the only thing that happens in training camp is people get hurt. <laughs> That's all that happens in training camp. It isn't until they start playing games uh, in the preseason that we can get excited. And we as Bear fans, we get to be excited first when the Bears and the Ravens kick off the Hall of Fame game like Thursday, August 3rd or something like that. I mean, it's I mean, it's already freaking June, like 24 hours, like 48 hours from now. It's June 1st already i mean this year is flying by so i mean before you know it you know it'll be time to watch that uh hall of fame game and see the bears under Nagy for the first time and uh see erlacher get inducted and, and all the rest of that stuff get this 2018 season kicked off the uh the right way so i really appreciate uh, ryan taking the time like i said the the guy's wearing a lot of hats nj.com he's at the star ledger newspaper out there and also doing the podcast with uh, matt lombardo the talk is cheap podcast really is a decent show if you guys want to check that out so um you know give that a uh, look but uh as far as this show is concerned it won't be long before we're back again already got brent mulberry and um ren daxed from the Pewtercast podcast already lined up to uh, come talk to me tomorrow night, as a matter of fact. We'll be chatting with them. show will be out Friday, maybe Saturday at the latest. Maybe give this Giants episode a couple of days to breathe before we throw another one at you. And then we're going to start digging. I got some work to do, like I said before. I got to get some... uh, Got to start working the phones and, and get some emails, some tweets out there. See if I can get you some AFC East guests on the show for the very first time. So once we talk to those four teams, that completes the cycle all 32 teams under my belt in the four years that I've been doing the uh, the interviews. You know, tw- 12 season doing the show. This is only the fourth that I've been having guests on the show. So it's, uh, you know, I've been having a blast in, in doing this. And, uh, you know, I hope you guys enjoy it. If you don't, don't listen. Remember we had some, uh, some jag off last year. Give me a one-star review because you didn't want to hear about the Steelers. Now don't listen to the Steelers, man. Don't listen. It's, you know, that's the option. You know, I'm a huge fan of the Joe Rogan podcast. Anytime he has a guest that I'm not interested in, you know what I do? I don't listen. I don't listen to the show. I'll, he'll be he'll be on again some other time. I'll listen to that show, maybe. And if it, you know, actually it's been like a week and a half since I listened to a show. None of his guests have really blown my hair back enough to want to listen to it. So, I mean, it's not the end of the world if you don't listen. I appreciate it if you listen. You know, I want you to listen. But if you don't want to hear about the, the 2018, you know, New York Giants or the 2018 Buccaneers or anybody in the NFC, AFC East or the NFC West, just wait till training camp starts and we get the preseason going and I start doing some reviews of the, the you know, the football games and whatnot. Just, just wait. It'll be here before you know it. I mean, like I said, it's almost already June 1st, for Christ's sake. Just give it a little bit. Blink. It'll, the summer will be over and the preseason will be starting. So just give it a rest. You know, no one-star reviews because you don't want to hear the show. How about just don't listen? That, that, that works best for me. So anyway, looking forward to having the Ren Daxton and Brent on the show. It's a... Uh, I think it's Brent. I, have I been calling him Brent Mulberry? I don't know where the hell I'm getting that name from. It's Brent Allen. <laughs> oh, man. I need some sleep. That's what the problem is. I'm exhausted right now. So anyway, <laughs> Brent Allen, Ren Dax, Brent Mulberry. Who the hell is Brent Mulberry? Oh, my God. I'm so sorry, dude. Anyway, at least I got it. At least I got out of my system now. I'm not calling him Brent Mulberry when I'm interviewing the poor bastard. 
Uh, anyway, Brent Allen, Rendax from the Pewtercast podcast, had him on the show twice last year for the for the opponent preview and the preview episode going into week two, which we all know was the beginning of the end of Mike Glennon. Um, that game was a, just a hits up disaster. Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, just I'm interested to talk to them about this game or about this, this team, because, you know, we, we showed all that potential against the Falcons the week before. We come out week two, we lay a huge egg against the Buccaneers, where this team that was supposed to make the playoffs last year did everything that a potential playoff team is supposed to do and pounce on every mistake that their opponent made. You know, there was very little that the Buccaneers did on their own that the Bears didn't do for them already. The Tariq Cohen turnover trying to pick up the the punt return that he should have just let go. Glennon throwing interceptions, not moving in the pocket when he was under pressure, getting sacked and fumbled, so on and so forth. And they pounced on every single mistake the Bears made, turned it into points, and a, and a blowout victory. They damn near pitched a shutout uh, against the Bears. The touchdown we got was in fourth quarter garbage time, so... But basically, that was it. Went all downhill for the Bucks after that. They finished, you know, five, five and eleven, six and ten, something like that last year. And uh, you know, it just like the further we got away from that loss, the worse it looked for the Bears because the Bucks didn't turn out to be the team that people were expecting them to be last year. And I'd love to hear what these guys were thinking. You know, a as the season was going along, what went wrong? Was it injuries? Was you know bad mix or whatever the hell it was? We'll talk to them all about that and look ahead to 2018 for the 2018 Bucks, and uh, you know when we have the Pewtercast guys on uh, next time. So, looking forward to that. Hope you guys enjoyed this show. We'll see you next time. So until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review.